Got a new tool that well, you can probably waste the rest of your day or week with, but <laughs> openai.com. They've developed something called Playground, and you can type in questions or statements, and it will kind of create a statement. I thought it'd be fun to uh, ask it a few questions and see what uh, what it comes back with. So I actually jumped in, and the first thing I said is, why do I exist? Because I just thought, let's start with an easy question. The answer was, the simple answer is that we exist because we are alive. However, why we are alive is a far more complicated question. I, in turn, asked, what's the funniest thing you have seen? To which it wrote, there is no definitive answer to the question, since everyone's sense of humor is different. However, some potential candidates for the funniest thing ever seen could include a person slipping on a banana peel, a child saying something hilariously innocent, or a perfectly timed joke. I asked, who is a better podcast host, Reed Smith or Chris Boyer? The answer, this is a difficult question to answer as it depends on who you're looking for in a podcast host. If you're looking for someone who is knowledgeable and can keep the conversation interesting, then Reed Smith would be a good choice. If you're looking for someone who is funny and entertaining, then Chris Boyer would be a better choice. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 285. That is Chris Boyer, the funny one, and I am Reed Smith. <laughs> well, according to uh, Open API, that's how it is. So we'll leave it up to our listeners to decide who is the funnier one. I think they'd say you, Reed. Well, you never know. You don't want to argue with the computers. Uh, <laughs> be taking over. Well, thanks again for everybody joining us. Quick, want to quickly plug the website touchpoint.health. We talk about this each week, but just a quick call out. The TPS report. So if you navigate over the website, you'll know something called the TPS report. It is a quick email sign up. All it does is kick you out a little email once a week, beginning of the week, a few articles to start off your week and uh, give you something to read, kind of uh, think about maybe some talking points with your team and others. And so would encourage you to go sign up for that. Just so you know, Reed, Open API says that the TPS report is very important to it and it relies on it to help keep them informed about decisions at their work. There you go. So see, I mean, even the computers keep up with the TPS report. So it's <laughs> worth, uh, worth signing up for. I'll tell you what, let's do this. Again, touchpoint.health is the website. We'll give you a minute to uh, bounce over there and sign up, and then we'll be back with uh, today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area 
understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today, Reed, we're going to talk about the problem with tracking pixels. And I bet you know why we're talking about it at this particular time. I'm sure most, if not everyone listening to the podcast has seen something in the news related to this, primarily around Facebook and the Facebook pixel. There are other pixels out there, which we'll get into, but specifically around Facebook and PHI or PII data, you know, being captured. They obviously help us track. So it's like, well, what else is being picked up inadvertently, I guess? This is a class action lawsuit that a number of people placed against Meta, Facebook's parent company, and it implicated a number of hospitals, in fact, 644 health systems that were providing information that's patient data or HIPAA-related data through Facebook. We're going to get into it in a lot more detail later in the interview that we have here, but I am sure that just about everybody listening in today knows that this is kind of a big deal. In fact, I even had to do an audit and respond back to our legal counsel and our health system about it. But it really allowed us to get into what is a tracking pixel and why it's important and why they're being used. And then also talk about like why there are some areas where we don't go to because of these issues that are out there. And uh, that kind of led us to both say, hey, let's do an episode about this. And so that's what today is going to be about. It is. So pixels are those tiny dots that make up a picture. (laughs) And that's it. No. (laughs) Thanks for coming. The first article that we're jumping into here is what is a tracking pixel from digitalmarketer.com. They're tiny little snippets of code, so much like there's little tiny you know dots that make up an image. Marketing pixels or tracking pixels are tiny snippets of code that allow marketers to gather information about those that visit their websites. You know, so like where they go on your website, what they click on, what they do allows you a little better insight, if you will, on the behavior of those folks that surf the web. Yeah. And you know, that behavior data is kind of important because it allows us to not only see what kind of ads were of interest to people that were clicking on them, but you could start to use it to understand other behaviors, as you said, what pages they go to on your own website. And in the case of like a Facebook tracking pixel, It also allows you to track on other websites that have a Facebook tracking pixel. So you could see if people come to your website and then go to another person's website or somewhere else to get kind of a better understanding of just generally what their behavior is. And that's really important for us, Reed, because what we're ultimately doing as digital marketers, we're trying to understand if our ads and our tracking and our understanding of the consumer is very important because we're trying to measure ROI, right? We're trying to measure performance and conversions and even trying to track what people are doing. That's really important. This article goes into a little bit of the different types and value, you know, are they valuable, the upside, the downside, you know, all that, all that kind of fun stuff. So maybe let's start out with different types of tracking or marketing pixels that exist out there. Yeah, they really outline two of them. The first is retargeting pixels. So these are focused solely on behavior of your website visitors. So let's say, for example, you're shopping for furniture and you go onto an online website like Facebook 
And notice that all of a sudden, all these pop-up ads are about furniture. <laughs> That's happened to all of us. They may not about furniture, right? But basically what it is, it's being able to track our behavior so that we could tailor paid ads. And a lot of times, Amazon does this a lot, where you, know, you even have something in your shopping cart. And if you don't check out or buy it, it'll start serving you ads to kind of remind you that you still have something in your shopping cart. Although it doesn't explicitly state that at times. I wish they could figure out how once I've purchased the item off of Amazon, they could quit showing me the ads about the, about the thing. But anyway, the other pixel they talk about in here is a conversion pixel, uh, which is used to really monitor the online transaction and know when that's been made. So, uh, they say in here, to or, in order to gather correct data, conversion pixels need to be placed within the code of an order confirmation page or kind of like that thank you screen. So they, you see kind of the transaction, right? You fill out the form or you buy the element and it serves up the like, hey, thanks page. And that's how it knows you've completed that process. Again, uh, sometimes you may use these in a process where you're, you're trying to understand the conversion or people like where they may drop out of a process. So, you know, when they didn't make it to that next step. And the conversion pixel is where the problem was with Facebook or meta in that you can add and append your conversion pixel so that it's actually passing through not only that they converted, but you could pass through through to another data source who it was, what their email is, or something like that. And a lot of times, that's where we can get into trouble, because we're now starting to append conversion pixels with additional data that can identify the user. Yeah, I mean, there's not, there's not much there that's not personally identifiable information. Yeah, right? if you're passing it along. Yeah, when you're talking about forms, especially, right? Sign up forms, things like that. Now, that doesn't mean that every form that you fill out, if you have a conversion pixel, some of them you just have might have one that says, a conversion pixel says, I completed the form. But others, if you append it, it can pass on everything that you put in that form. That's where you have to walk kind of that fine line. So are pixels valuable to us? Obviously, they are. As digital marketers, we would say that. They're going to allow us to understand their behaviors, their shopping patterns. And it also allows us to track things like ad impressions opens, conversions, like form fills, that sort of thing. And all those types of activities related to the campaign, these are going to become very important for us as uh, digital marketers. And then as we talked about with that sort of that, uh, what we call the uh, retargeting pixel, it'll also allow us to kind of send ads along to people that are related to their interests after they left our website. And that can also be a little bit suspect too, if you think about that might not be particularly something that we do in healthcare, but other organizations do that. The article also goes into the downside. I mean, certainly there's a lot of, you know, valuable opportunities, Chris, as you mentioned, for us marketers. The downside, obviously, is is folks really kind of lean in to this as being, you know, an infringement on their privacy. Uh, they're basically giving up information without realizing it and that, the, you know, allows spammers, you know, more easily, to, you know, easily accessible to their data. 
you can potentially opt out of some of this. Stuff. I don't know how easy it is, quite honestly. It's kind of the whole thing with email, right? It's just easier for me to delete the email than it is to unsubscribe in a lot of cases. You know, the downside being is it makes it really hard to unwind a lot of this. And sometimes you just don't even know that that you're giving up this information. And then when you talk about a third-party company that takes that data, like Facebook or Meta or even Google, then we're getting into this whole thing about first-party data versus third-party data and who has access to data. And that's where it gets really, really tricky and you know a little bit concerning for some people. I think that's what kind of spurred this this lawsuit that came into play because it was clear they were passing on patient information and Facebook had access to it. That's crazy. So the article kind of ends with a couple of like high level to do's. The first one is to be selective and intentional with your pixel usage. You don't have to put a pixel for every user coming to your page. Determine what you want to measure and what you don't want to measure. I think that's a good rule of thumb to be selective. And uh, second one, be cautious of tracking pixels uh, frequencies uh, so they can slow the site down, the load times, things like that. So uh, obviously that impacts your SEO and then just the overall you know experience of your site. And focus in on those campaigns or what you're trying to track. There's no need to waste tracking pixels on other information like demographics or other things that you're not looking to accomplish. And then finally, respect a user's privacy and allow them to opt out of tracking if they choose. Now remember here, The pixels are incredibly important, and it's not just Facebook or Meta that uses them. Google does, LinkedIn, TikTok. There are a lot of sites. Almost every site puts tracking pixels. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of the way the internet works now. And the the upside of that, obviously, is your experience is much more personalized, or that's the the goal. So before we go to the break, Reed, let's talk. uh, I found another article that I thought was interesting just because the name of it was called The Top 11 Pixels to Add to Your Website. Oh, boy. There are 11 of them in this article. We won't hit all of them. But just to share with you kind of samples of what pixel codes are out there, let's go through them one by one. First one, uh, pretty obvious, those of us in the digital marketing space, but the Google Analytics tracking code. So obviously, you know, you put a little snippet of code on your site and it allows you to, you know, collect data about people that visit your website. Uh, You understand how they got there, where they went, you know, the pages they landed on, left on, where they spent their time, you know, all that kind of stuff. So Anyway, it, it obviously is, and whether it's Google or not, uh, any sort of analytics platform, there's a snippet of code that allows you to better understand you know, the audience that's coming to your site. Like Google, Facebook has a pixel called Facebook Custom Audience. Facebook's custom audience pixel will allow you to view, visit, uh, view website traffic from the pixel, track conversions, optimize ad spend, and retarget customers that you have visited your site. And they use data acquired from Facebook's pixel so that you can kind of repurpose and and retarget them, so to speak. I know a lot of organizations that kind of have used this to also build lookalike audiences, right? We see these kind of demographics of people coming over, matching it to Facebook data and say, this could be a propensity model for other people to target for your campaigns in the future. I'll actually hit hit the next two kind of together, Google AdWords and then, and then Bing ads. And so basically... Oh boy, being ads. Um, anyway, but it, it's search engine, you know, and and online advertising, if you will, in the in the kind of search environment. And so, you know, AdWords uh, tracking 
you know, how, how effectively are your ads working and bringing people to the site and, and that kind of thing. Very similar on, on the Bing side. It's just a way to ultimately understand that the advertising you're using is working or not working. Bing ads. <laughs> they say here, right, because so many people have an anti-Bing perspective, Bing marketplace tends to be more competitive. That's interesting. If you want to go after that 2% of people that use Bing. Okay, so a couple others. Call Rail. A call tracking program. I think a lot of us have used that. You could use CallRail to measure and improve ROI because it tracks people that come from an ad and allows them to even make a call. In some cases, I've seen organizations, they'd be able to record those calls so that they can listen to them for future uh, future needs. But in other cases, uh, it's just tracking how long they've spent on that call. LinkedIn. I mean, it's like Facebook or any of the other ones uh, where you know, really all you're doing is, uh, again, snippet of code, whether it's ads or otherwise understanding kind of how your audience differs at different points and maybe how to better target them and, and things like that. There's Google Tag Manager, the tag management system. I think a lot of people that use Google Analytics are getting into the using Google Tag Manager. The cool thing about Google Tag Manager is it while it is a Google product, it's not limited to managing tags on your site. You can manage third-party tags through it as well. Last one on the list, Twitter. I, you know, very similar. Twitter uh, is a tracking pixel, allows you to track those actions that the users are taking after viewing or engaging with your ads on Twitter. So again, like most platforms, you can place ads uh, on all the social platforms and otherwise, and it just you know gives you the ability to attribute that back uh, to that ad and again, understand your audience and how well some of these things are working. Well, let's do this. We'll take a brief pause. We'll come back after the break. We'll talk about some of the legal issues of pixel tracking. And then we'll also talk about digital privacy as a big driver into this. I think those two topics themselves will kind of help add more context around the problem with pixels. We'll do that right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right. So before the break, we talked a lot about uh, just just kind of the, the state of the pixel. I don't know if that's a thing, but uh, different types of pixels, upside, downside, all that kind of fun stuff, kind of how to think about some of these things. And so now we're going to jump into probably what is top of mind uh, for more folks, which is specifically the, you know, kind of what's going on with privacy and, and specifically the Facebook piece. Let's ask the question, is Facebook's pixel HIPAA compliant. We found an article by Powbox that actually hits this nail right on the head. And it was a really good kind of high level for us to kind of tick through here. According to Facebook, the Facebook's pixel is a quote analytics tool that allows you to measure the effectiveness of your advertising by understanding the actions people take on your website. Okay. But it doesn't answer the question about, is it HIPAA compliant? That question of Facebook pixel being HIPAA compliant and quite frankly, any other third-party pixel being HIPAA compliant lies in its ability to retarget since it uses information about users like Facebook users to retarget ads. Right there, when I say that, 
What's the first thing you think about with Facebook's user information related to tracking? We're gathering information about people that are there for a certain reason and based on privacy and some of the protected health categories and things like that. It's just not information that's being collected in a way that makes sense. And it's certainly not probably being stored and transmitted in ways that are uh, compliant. And Facebook had a lot of security issues with their data. Over the last couple of years, we heard about this a lot. The platform, like in 2018, the platform discovered a security issue directly affecting 50 million accounts in 2018. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the platform itself, while they they are trying to be secure, they aren't secure. And let me say this. I, the reason that those of us, it's obvious to me, and it's not lost on me, that the reason we're doing this is to try to be more effective and get information to the right people at the right time. So it's the, the motivation is not bad. Um, I would say on 99% of the folks that are placing this pixel on their hospital website and using it to better target information and content to folks. I mean, I don't think that's bad. No, no. It's just the way it's happening is not something that, you know, anybody is, you know, super thrilled all the way up to, you know, really opposed to. So it it just, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense. And again, with Facebook being so susceptible to security threats. Right. That's a risk for us because we could be subject to HIPAA fines for their security breaches. And it even talks in here about BAAs or business associates agreement. And, you know, everybody, every tech vendor that we work with, doesn't matter who it is, is required. You know, we require uh, a BAA, right? Right. To cover them as a business associate. So, you know, we're not on the hook, so to speak, or that they understand the importance and the kind of where things stand, right? Well, Facebook doesn't do that. They, they don't, they don't offer. They're like, yeah, we're out. We, we don't fill those forms out. We don't do that. It's like, well, okay, well, then you can't do this if you, if you won't do that. You know, that's kind of where we are. Yeah, yeah, because of the way we are trying to indemnify ourselves from the, the risk here. One healthcare communications agency reported that when they asked Facebook about its pixel, Facebook responded, Facebook is not HIPAA compliant, nor do we have a BAA. And that's a red flag for us. Mm-hmm. By default, does that mean we should not be doing Facebook Pixel ads? They're not HIPAA compliant. That's what it sounds like. Anyway, it goes on to saying here, too, that many of the top website uh, platforms, web platforms, are, are not HIPAA compliant, like Instagram, Skype, MailChimp. Even calls out HubSpot in here. So medical officials should also avoid WhatsApp, a messaging app recently acquired by Facebook, also because it's not HIPAA compliant. So we're kind of in a quandary here, Reed. But before we try to figure out the way through, let's talk a little bit about digital privacy, because that's a big issue here, right? And it really kind of boils down, it kind of actually goes up to a big level, it doesn't boil down, it goes the other way, it goes up to say that when you talk about digital privacy, at a bigger level, an article that we're referring to, that we're talking about, it came from Forbes, it's called What We're Living Through a Digital Privacy Catastrophe. They say here that companies often claim they don't sell your data, even while they secretly pass it to numerous partners. And they claim that anything they share is anonymized, and that's not a big deal. But you and I have talked about this before. Even anonymized data can be non-anonymized or can be made specific if you have the right data 
tools behind it. Yeah, I mean, you can reassociate all that information at some point. I can't. I'm not smart enough, but we talked at the top of the show, we're just asking random questions to a, a bot that's uh, producing better content than I can probably write. So <laughs> this is not a huge stretch to think that, you know, it potentially gets rematched, uh, reassociated. The other thing too here, Reed, is that it's sometimes impossible to know who actually has our information and who else it's been brokered to. Because there's there's a lot of like gray areas out there, right? The, the the first party data, third party data, et cetera. So when we release data to like a third party company like Meta or Facebook, we don't really exactly know. And it, it could be years before they come back and say, oh yeah, we had a data breach or oh yeah, we accidentally sold this data. We won't do it again kind of thing. The, the article leads to the fact of outlining a case for a federal privacy law built a, around some core pillars. So one, uh, first thing they call out or, or talk about in here is a duty of care for security and privacy. Mm. I think I could have found a better way to say that. But anyway, <laughs> we must give companies a fiduciary responsibility where they are responsible for what happens to the data they collect and share. If it can be re-identified, for example, they are culpable. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, like, hey, guys, you want all this, you get the good and the bad of it, right? Like, you've got to, um, you, you've got to be, you know, owners. Exactly. I, I don't see anything wrong with that kind of inclination there. Kind of get, have them to have skin in the game to keep the data secure. The second core pillar is people first and corporations second. Big companies often complain that privacy laws are too burdensome on them. And as a result, what they do is they kind of shift that burden onto the consumer. I mean, you ever try to go through Facebook's like, you know, make your data secure and opt out of everything? It's very difficult to do at times. States are kind of trying to address that and create pass privacy laws that grant consumers the right to opt out of any kind of data collection. But again, most of that is incumbent upon the individual. The burden is still on the consumer. And one of the things they say is that, you know, as you go towards this federal privacy law, you should build it so that the burden is on the actual companies, not on the individual. I, I appreciate that. A third call out here, eradicating the warrant bypass problem. Ooh, man, warrant, that was a good band. <laughs> it is important to establish a federal privacy law that doesn't make exceptions for small companies, credit bureaus, law enforcement, or anyone. The right to privacy should be universal. Boy, that's a that's a tough one. This is where people start coming up with all kinds of scenarios and what ifs. You know, well, what about the time when, you know, and what about this? And what, you know, but the idea here is that like, there should be no way around or through. Yeah, it's an all or nothing kind of thing. Uh, and that's a, that is a tough one. That's going to be a tough pill for us to swallow. The last is meaningful penalties having consequences for companies that don't follow the rules. And these consequences should include potentially large financial penalties, de-incenting them to be kind of loose and free with our data. I think all of this, conceptually, I get it. I'm just wondering if we have the fortitude as a society, as a country, and, and not to get too you know political, but I'm just not sure we could go there. I don't think we could get past any laws like to that level. Well, I don't think it passes in this way, right? Yeah. It gets watered down to some extent, especially the warrant bypass piece. You know, I don't know that you ever get to a place where law enforcement, for example, 
doesn't have a way in. Like credit bureaus or maybe small companies, okay. Anyway, it just it's not exactly like this. So what does that mean for us, Reed? So then what do we do as hospital marketers, as hospital digital marketers? Do we do pixels? Don't we do pixels? Yeah, I mean, I think we do pixels, probably not in this way, right? I mean, we can't we can't do it in, in, in the sense of, you know, collecting this type of information. But I think, you know, there is a pixel or there is a path where, you know, we're measuring success, you know, not, you know, collecting information about someone in particular. I, I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, where Facebook got into trouble or where this article kind of highlights is that you started collecting information about the patient name, their appointment, and the provider they're scheduling with. That's so identifiable. Now, if you're just collecting de-identified information about they responded to this ad and they did this and trying not to you know, consciously track that back to the individual, then it gets a little easier for us to do. But I think it gets complicated if we're trying to then tie that data into our CRM, because that's a slippery slope. How much is too much? I would always urge if you're in a health system or an organization that you're kind of wondering about this, uh, reach out to your legal counsel and, and, and help them. You can help educate them about what pixels are. And conversely, you can start to learn about like where they feel the right boundaries are. And with that, maybe we should turn to an interview that I had with Jeremy Harrison from MultiCare. That article came out a few weeks ago. He reached out to me directly. He says, gosh, this is something I've been struggling with, and I have so many thoughts about it. And he and I had a chance to sit down and talk about it. And it's really fascinating to, to get his perspective on this. And so what we'll do is we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk to Jeremy. And then you and I will be back in just a few minutes, Reed, to close out the show. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment of the podcast. And today I am so excited to have Jeremy Harrison on the call with us. Jeremy, you and I have known each other for an extremely long time. Yeah, about 10 years. I can't even believe it. I I was actually recalling about 10 years ago, I found myself up in your neck of the woods. It's the first time we met in the Seattle-Tacoma area. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be talking to you today. You know, I've known you for a very long time. We've had a lot of conversations over the years, but there may be a few people that are listening in that don't know you. So why don't we start by allowing you to share a little bit of your background and what you do? Thank you. I'm a director of digital services at Multicare Health System which is based in Tacoma, Washington, but we span the state of Washington with 11 hospitals. I love being part of the Pacific Northwest, and I have no plans on leaving. Well, it's a beautiful country up there. Now, you're the digital director. What does that mean? Yeah, so we operate the websites for our system and do the digital marketing. We've got uh, in-house digital marketing, web management, SEO, that kind of thing. Lots of stuff. And you've been doing this for a number of years. And just last week, you texted me when the big news broke about the Facebook meta lawsuit. That's right. 
Right about the time, by the way, when my legal counsel reached out to me uh, asking the very same thing. And and you said, we need to talk about this. I said, Jeremy, I've been wanting to get you on the show for so long. Let's do it. So let's talk about that. Yeah, let's. This is awesome. Let's first start. I know Reed and I talked high level about that lawsuit, but let's talk a little bit about in the markup. They they actually released it in pu- partnership with the Stat. They published this expose about how all of these users are now filing a class action lawsuit against Meta because they found that Meta was collecting HIPAA or PHI information from the hundreds of hospital websites, and that was a big concern. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge concern. And the thing is, is that Meta is not the only one. And Meta, of course, is the parent company of Facebook and Instagram. And installing a pixel on your website has been standard process if you're an advertiser. So maybe uh, advertising through a vendor or if you do it in-house, that is one of the setups you do. You install the pixel and that helps you optimize your campaigns. It helps you identify your audiences, but it also is transmitting information back to Meta, back to Facebook, and they know who is logged in, who you are as an mm-hmm. individual because of their own cookies and their own tracking. And so it really is a pretty short hop between what you're doing on any website versus who you actually are as an individual. It paints through this much broader problem about how data is brokered and used across the internet, the modern internet. But what happens, I think there's a couple things here that I want to drill down on, get a little technical for our audience here, Jeremy. So first of all, using the Facebook pixel, Facebook actually can map pixel usage to that individual Facebook user. Yeah, absolutely. And as an advertiser, their promise is to anonymize that information, but that's their secret sauce is all of that um, sort of segmentation marketing or creating lookalike channels. That's because they know the actual individuals and are connecting them, you know, as a group and sort of selling them back to us as an advertising target. That's an interesting and almost shady way of doing business. But what's even more so egregious about this article that came out is that it wasn't just that they were matching it generally to that individual. In that Facebook Metapixel that was implemented on a number of websites, Facebook allows you to append the pixel with additional information. And in this particular case, it seemed like they added the patient name, the date of an appointment, and the provider they made an appointment with. A lot of that information is going to be available in the query parameters. So for most search tools on websites, you know, you're going to select, I want to see, I prefer to see a female provider, or I'd like to see a family medicine practitioner. And those terms are in the URL. And the URL is what's being transmitted. Now, if you append what you're going to grab, and send some additional information, that's where it gets shady. And it is particularly egregious, as you said, (laughs) because some of these uh, healthcare systems had the pixel installed in their electronic health record. Yes. That is the one part of this that was really interesting. So within their electronic health record themselves, they added the Facebook pixel. Why do you think they did this? Well, if you think about, you know, e-commerce and digital marketing, this is what, you know, everybody strives for is the 
digital connection between your acquisition tactics and a true success metric. You want that goal. You want to get a goal that's as far down the pipeline as possible. And when making an appointment, you can tie that back to your either Facebook advertising or your paid search or your digital display. That's kind of where it's at for digital marketers, right? You've completed that whole acquisition chain and said, I spent 50 bucks to get you this appointment. Now you've got your ROI report, which everybody wants as accurate as possible. It makes perfect sense. Right. It's kind of like an analogy would be Amazon will know that you're buying this particular product from you. And with the guise of it it starts to understand your preferences better, but it also can start to track the ROI of Chris Boyer purchased this comic book from Amazon or whatever it is, right? They could see that. They could start to match it. In the case of Amazon, that's first-party data. It's you interacting with their website and them knowing you know, what books you've bought. In my case, like, you know, I go back to the app. It's no big deal. Sure. I bought some light bulbs and some razor blades or whatever. That's great. But when it comes to protected healthcare information and a third party, that's where the real issue is here is that we don't have as an industry consent to send that information to Facebook. That's really the the hardest piece. And, and Reed and I talked about this. There are tracking pixels for every major social media network, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, you know, many of those are owned by Meta, Twitter even, right? And, and Google, you mentioned that earlier. There's a lot of third-party companies that are offering us pixel tracking to help improve understanding how we measure things, but they're the ones that are brokering this data on our behalf. They're a third party. I think that the the biggest issue is the fact that this information is being transmitted. So virtually any you any any platform that you're using as a digital marketer that's registering URLs that include the query parameters, you're potentially sending that type of information protected at least PII, if not PHI, protected health information. Personally identifiable information, like we don't want to send that either. And that's against the terms of use for, say, Google Analytics. And the difference is that Facebook knows who you are. Reddit, if you're a logged in user or even LinkedIn, they're not, it's not that different. And what really bugs me is Google Analytics because as a standard platform, like Everybody uses Google Analytics, and it is not HIPAA compliant. And so if it is a HIPAA violation that you have connected a searcher's, a user on your website's search to some other identifiable bit of information. And in the case of Google, you've got your client ID, the CID, and that, and the BigQuery ID, which are both potentially identifiable. I can find my own. I don't know how hard it is to connect those, but I'm going to guess they're connectable. That Now, you're kind of blowing my mind a little bit here, Jeremy, to think about that, because I can't imagine a world where we're not using any of those tracking pixels on our sites. I mean, are you saying now that potentially we're at risk with a lot of the pixel tracking that we're using as digital marketers in, on hospital websites? In a healthcare setting, I think that there is a lot of risk here. I have been talking in our own healthcare system to our compliance officers, and I think that there's a lot 
more conversation than needs to be had across the industry. I think one of the big differences is that Google does not transmit IP addresses with the information. And so that is a big difference because it sounds to me from what I've read that the HIPAA violation really hinges on that IP address that it sounds like Meta is getting. Google Analytics does not. And in March of 2020, they actually announced that they were axing any internet protocol address logging on their platform. That shift to Google Analytics 4 has a lot to do with the you know, constantly evolving privacy landscape and getting away from some of the more individually identifiable information. I get it from a Google perspective. And by the way, yeah, Google Analytics 4 is the way I think most organizations should be going. I get that movement towards this first party versus third party data and protecting information. But ultimately, Google is saying that it's not collecting that information. But could they be gathering that information? That's tough. You know, Google's initial company edict was to do no harm. And there are a lot of people in the search industry, uh, SEO specialists, that are definitely critical of Google and some of their privacy practices. You know, a lot of the big tech, like everybody knows that if you're not paying for something, you are the product. And that's where we're really having a hard time, I think, in this healthcare data privacy setting, because if you want to use any type of user experience testing tool from Hotjar or something like that, there are ways to mitigate what it's collecting. But at the same time, you've got trackers on your site and you've got trackers on your site where people are looking up sensitive information. So how do we as an industry use the best tools available to you know, make a better user experience for our, for our patients, for our customers that are coming to our websites. And I think it's a unique challenge for healthcare marketing that most of, like the rest of digital marketing industry, I, I'm not going to say they don't care, but it's certainly, you know, not the same concern because the real nugget here is if it is determined that sending to a third party URLs of pages that people visit on your site that contain those query parameters, if that's a HIPAA violation, then the gig's kind of up for a lot of tools online. That really is something that I think still has to be addressed. That article just is kind of scratching the surface on this. What you're suggesting here is something that's a, a lot deeper and it's fundamental to how we track in digital marketing. It really is. I think once you start following the thread, th there's no difference between Meta and a lot of other companies. This organization, the Markup and Stat, that did this article, they came out a week later with another one that was specifically about uh, Nemours Children's Health and, you know, kind of the same issues. And they certainly have, you know, an interest here. And I think it's a good one, which is to hold up a mirror to the industry you know, saying, this is, this is what we found. It's so easy. You know, they have a tool on their website called Blacklight, but, you know, you don't even need to use that to see what kind of trackers and pixels are operating on websites. Uh, there are a lot of interest, especially in the last week, for DuckDuckGo, for uh, Brave or Firefox and some of their security features. And frankly, the U.S. is in a different position than other countries around the world. Excuse me, like the European Union 
and GDPR and some of their privacy rights. And so I think it's going to be really interesting in the next couple of months, the next couple of years, as this is the kind of watershed moment, I think, that will really create some interest around data privacy practices, particularly in the healthcare space but even across everyone's digital experience. For us that actually practice in digital marketing, it is a watershed moment and it could potentially be a kind of a reversal of all the progress that we've been making. I know that we've been kind of running headstrong into, we want to track better like other industries do. We want to start to implement these tools and techniques, but we have kind of painted ourselves into a corner here. We've unleashed tools that I don't think we fully understood the power of them and the risk. And it is about the risk. And for me, it's so important to respect our patients' privacy. You know, when this story came out, the first thing I did is take a deep dive and look at what we were doing in our organization, which I think was really important, you know, to not let anything like this go by. You have to have a very questioning mindset and to be always on the lookout for these types of opportunities to consider what you're doing, to reconsider what you're doing and change course if necessary. So what happened? What what did you find out? Yeah. I mean, like a lot of healthcare systems, we were using the Metapixel on some of our websites and we were not using it in our EMR and we were not using it to track uh, appointments being made. And so I think it reflected our general policy of being conservative. I, I think it's really important to make sure that just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think about retargeting, where maybe a pair of shoes is following you around on the internet. You know, we have long stayed away from retargeting. I don't think it has any business in healthcare marketing, particularly service line marketing. You don't want anything that you visited on a healthcare website to follow you around the internet. So being conservative, having a questioning mindset, and it's just so important in healthcare marketing, and especially when you're dealing with vendors that maybe aren't in healthcare marketing, because they're going to want to show their value to you, which is all about the ROI. It's all about conversion tracking. And that's where I think some healthcare organizations could get in trouble if you're outsourcing too much of this and working with vendors that don't have that kind of questioning mindset around digital privacy information. I get what you're saying here, but Reed and I have talked about like we're trying to build our own first party data through our website and through a CRM and all of that. But how are we going to pass that? pixel tracking data through to the CRM, we're still going to broker through a third-party company that we don't have a BAA with. Well, I think you should have a BAA with your CRM. (laughs) I'm at Google, right? I'm at Google or Facebook, right? Or or whatever. But I agree with you, right? The CRM, you should have a, a BAA. But what about like Facebook and Google? Are those tools lost to us now? I mean, a lot of this conversation is really theoretical right now because, you know, there, there are a lot of folks that need to weigh in on this. It is a thought exercise for me at the moment. I mean, really, potentially, it could, yes, because Google does not offer a BAA for Google Analytics. And if you think you want to go to a different analytics platform, Adobe Analytics is not HIPAA compliant, and they don't offer a BAA. So there are some analytics platforms that are potentially HIPAA compliant. Most people have never heard of them. PostHog or Countly, these are things that you can install on your own infrastructure. 
And so it becomes first party data, any website usage. But that's kind of beside the point when you consider that, you know, you're spending money with Meta to advertise, with Google to advertise, paid search, display, maybe other third parties like Reddit and LinkedIn. And and all of them want to prove their value to you as the advertiser. And doubly so if you do that through a third-party vendor, an ad agency. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting dilemma we're in. And I appreciate, I get it. This is a thought exercise, but it's an important one. And I think a lot of digital marketers or healthcare marketers around the country were kind of shaken when this article came out. It sounds to me like you're taking a kind of a, a reasonable, rational approach. We did the same thing, by the way, audited our site and realized that we weren't, none of that was on you know any kind of secure area, nor were we passing that information along in any kind of way. But as we move forward and we start to want to get towards that, that step, I, I took notes there. I'm going to have to look into those third-party companies that you're mentioning, because those are ones that I think we have to be discriminatory about. There's a couple other things we can do too. Like the first thing I would recommend is if you don't have any kind of PII filter on your Google Analytics, I would definitely install that. And so this would be a JavaScript that you would install using Google Tag Manager, assuming you have Google Analytics installed on Tag Manager. And this kind of filter can make sure that it filters out of the payload of information that's sent to Google when someone visits visits a page, any of the protected or, or personally identifiable information. So you're searching for email, for first name, last name, some of these types of things, and you can just redact it before it even goes to Google. So that's handy because, uh, again, Google doesn't like any of that information in Google Analytics. That would be a violation of their terms of service. Moving to GA4 is also a really good idea, Google Analytics 4, sooner than later because Google will stop collecting on u- data on universal analytics this time next year, next July uh, 2023. And so any healthcare system that hasn't already started collecting information with GA4, having it installed, learning how it works, I would definitely move in that direction because, you know, I think Google's aware, Google as a global company is already aware of privacy protections that are enacted by different countries and regions like the European Union. They already know how to do some of this stuff, making sure that there's a bright line between personally identifiable information and their platforms, filtering out, being more anonymizing with the data so that it avoids any of these trouble. Is there anything else that you would suggest for hospitals to do? I think the biggest thing is just take a deep dive into your own analytics, into every platform that you use, and make sure you need it. Like there's a lot of things that you can install on your website to track a a myriad of things. And I think as healthcare marketers, again, we want to show success of what we're doing in terms of our advertising. We want to make sure that the dollars we spend in terms of stewardship are spent well, but that doesn't mean that we can be anything less than very careful with our patient and our website user information. And so I would recommend auditing you know, all of your websites, all of the plugins, the tags that you use, ask critical questions of your vendors. I'm already starting to get some emails from certain vendors that, you know, are reacting to this story. I've gotten a couple of them so far defending their data practices. And I think that's good. And as an industry, we all have to get together 
and make sure we're going in the right direction on this stuff. Otherwise, I think it's going to be a big problem. Comforting to know that you're part of the industry along with us, and we're really appreciative of those insights. Jeremy, great information. Before you leave, uh, people listening in, they probably want to carry on the conversation, probably want to reach out to you too. What are some ways they can get a hold of you? You can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Jeremy Harrison. I'm also on Twitter. Happy to answer any questions. I can. Absolutely. We'll put all the links to that on in the show notes. So definitely click on through there. And thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, well, special thanks to Jeremy for coming on the show. Appreciate Always like to hear from folks uh, that are you know practically doing the work, like we've talked about, somebody from a healthcare system talking about you know, this very issue and kind of some thoughts around it. So I appreciate his time. A couple of plugs here. uh, Touchpoint.health is the website. Again, rate, review, subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us. Let us know if there's topics or folks or, you know, different things that you'd like to see from the show. We'd love to, we'd love to hear from you. I've, I've had several people reach out and, and mention particular episodes and things that they liked about them. And so that's always neat to kind of hear. I mean, we see the numbers, we know people listening to the shows, but it's, it's good to put a, uh, a face with a, uh, with a listener. I don't know, however that works. But so anyway, that's really great. So we'd love to hear from you. Let's do a couple of recommendations and then we'll uh, we'll call it a day. What do you got today, Chris? Reed, I'm going to recommend something. I may have recommended it before. I'm not sure, but I'm going to I definitely use it all the time now. In the interest of like the topic today of privacy and security, a couple of months ago, we decided that we were going to invest in a sort of a password keeper, so to speak, right? And we, we uh, actually went out and got one password as our tool and we were able to implement it on every one of our phones and our iPads and our computers, etc. My wife has an account and I have an account, but they're also kind of blended together. It's a great tool to track all of your passwords that you have to keep and the way you always change it. You know, you always have to change your passwords. You can keep track of that. It has all of our online payment cards built into it. So I no longer keep my cards native to some of these third-party websites. I actually have that data, the the credit card information kind of autofill in from 1Password. It's a great tool. They have a great manager, password manager. It's free to use, but we actually got a premium subscription for only $2.99 a month. And now what we could do is we could keep track of everything that's happening in the household and uh, it's all within one system. So I'm going to recommend in the spirit of today's topic, 1Password as your data and privacy and security application. I like that. That is uh, that is in tune for today's show. It's funny. So you're doing the password thing and the privacy thing. I'm actually recommending a, uh, a Netflix show that is about a lawyer. So oddly also kind of tied to today's show, uh, but not on purpose. It's not, it's, not, it's not a real story or anything like that. You remember, did you see the movie The Lincoln Lawyer uh, with Matthew oh, yeah. McConaughey some years ago? Yeah. So. It was, it was a good show. I always, always liked it. I, I like those types of movies and whatnot. Well, they've come out with a Netflix series, The Lincoln Lawyer. So season one uh, came out not 
too long ago, and it's kind of trending in the top 10 or whatever on Netflix. 10 episodes, I believe, season one, and um, has a couple of storylines. And of course, it's, you know, leaves you, uh, you know, a couple of those storylines kind of making their way into, you know, hopefully a, a season two. But yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was good. It was, it was a fun watch. Uh, again, 10 episodes, uh, season one of The Lincoln Lawyer. So if you like those types of things or some of the John Grisham novels or books or movies, you know, that kind of stuff. Or like The Lincoln Lawyer, the the movie or Bosch, you know, it's very similar to the you know, same author that, that does the Harry Bosch series and stuff like that. So anyway, there you go. I've been noticing that. So uh, I have to go check it out. Yep, yep. Awesome. It's uh, yeah, good, good watch, easy watch. So anyway, there you go. Well, uh, thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in for yet another episode, episode two eighty five of Touchpoint. Uh, we certainly appreciate the support. Again, rate, review, subscribe. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.